0: Hello, and welcome to the Not-For-Profits podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Trina Parham.
1: And I'm David Devon.
0: And we are two seasoned nonprofit professionals, um black leaders who have worked in the nonprofit space. And on this show, we go behind the scenes uh, of the nonprofit industry, and we talk about our experiences in the spaces as as black leaders um, in the nonprofit space. And um, today we're talking about DEI. We're talking about diversity, um, equity, and inclusion, and how inauthentic DEI efforts impact black staff and black leadership. And so um, this is something that uh, (laughs) David and I have talked a lot about. Um, I have very strong feelings about the topic of DEI and its ineffectiveness. And so um, we're going to dive into that today. So um, David, why don't you kick us off with this one?
1: Yeah, yeah. So DEI, I'm I'm not going to give you, you know, the academic or the full historical perspective on these efforts. But based on my experience, based on what I know, um, these efforts, you know, came with a lot of those conversations around multiculturalism. And if we have colleges, universities, workplaces that are more diverse, what do we need to do in order to make those places more welcoming so that ultimately we can be more effective and make more money (laughs) as organizations. And so many times these sorts of things uh, take the form of mandates. So I'm sure all of you have been involved in some, I think in New York state, it has a terrible name like sexual harassment avoidance training um, that's mandated. uh, That's, you know, really about legal things around equal opportunity um, committees. That's about, you know, how do you avoid these sorts of lawsuits and, and ultimately treatment of staff within your organization? I think similarly in DEI, there's been a focus on training. There's been a focus on pushing uh, people, sometimes not in challenging ways, to understand what, do, what is a system what has been the context around gender discrimination, around discrimination along lines of race and ethnicity, lines of class and all of those things. But then it can end at the training, you know, so people yes. are made aware. People are pushed to sometimes look in the mirror as to what does this look like for how I identify within this organization, within this nonprofit But then where it should be going and where many uh, places that are doing it authentically, they're seeing this not as a one-off, they're seeing this not as a piece of work, but something that's incorporated into everything that they do. So they're thinking about diversity, equity, and inclusion, and sometimes anti-racism in compensation, in hiring, in retaining of staff, in how they work with communities In um, who they allow to be their donors, (laughs) in who is on their board, um, the diversity across the staff, and how people are able to participate fully as members of your community as an organization. Um, The metrics and the evaluative measures that you use to measure those different things that you're working on. And ultimately, as as Trina always speaks on, uh, who needs to go? (laughs) <laughs> when Absolutely. you're when you're doing this in an authentic way, and you're having these very challenging conversations, it's not just a scared straight for white people. It is a um, what needs to change within these organizations to allow for the future that we see um, as an inclusive and equitable organization. Um, but many times it is not authentic in that way. It is more of a checking the box training that's supposedly supposed to make people feel better, an employee resource group, a promise of change, and then massive amounts of gaslighting and inaction, which actually many times makes black leaders feel worse off Absolutely. <laughs> after that, that process moves forward. So, yeah.
0: And so I think um, to go from there, let, let's talk about the problem. <laughs> <laughs> so the, what is the problem of DEI? What what is the heart of the problem? And I, I think for for me, what I see is, and it, it really ties to how I've seen DEI um, activated or enacted in organizations. And it has come down to these trainings that many people um, essentially use this new language to continue, to marginalize people at work. Mm -hmm. So if, if you are someone who is, is, is biased, racist, whatever, you just hate people. Um, you have no intentions of promoting people that don't look like you, whatever it is that, um, that you feel, those are, those are personal things that then come to work and impact the decisions that you make. So for a real behavior change and how you show up, it, it actually doesn't matter at least to me and what I've seen. And maybe it's just the kind of trainings I've experienced, but it it hasn't made a dent in anyone's behavior. Yes. And I think that is one of the things that has been extremely frustrating for me Or when you sit, and David, I know you've had this experience too, where you sit in some of these trainings and the people that are participating are the black and brown people. Mm -hmm. And look, not to say, and look, there's a lot of, There's a lot of intra-racial issues and things like that that need to be addressed. Don't get me wrong. But a lot of the white leaders who need to be hearing this information and acting on it are either not there or again, they're basically they're given language to weaponize against people. And I think that is one of the biggest issues that I see with DEI. The other thing is I, I I think a lot of organizations um, and I, I think what ends up happening is they put the responsibility of Dei on marginalized folks to take care of. Specifically, I'll say black people. It's like you black leader, you know this stuff, right? You, how about you take the lead on this? Or if they have an employee resource group, or any type of DEI initiative, it's like you gather here, you talk about these things, but then not have the power to enact change. And I think that is one of the biggest issues where you have these DEI committees and all of these, they want to have events and they want to have all this stuff. Yes. I don't want that. I want to pay. I want to pay increase. Mm-hmm. And I want to know that, um, If I go and I complain to HR about said person that has had five previous complaints, I want to know that they're going to be fired. I don't care about any of this other nonsense that you're saying. I don't care about any meetings. I don't care about any trainings. I don't care about any of that. Yeah. And so when you get in some of these organizations and they have had training after training after training and they are still having the same complaints, how? Somebody didn't listen. Somebody didn't pay attention. These trainings aren't doing what they're designed to do. And I I think it ultimately comes down to, for me, are people going to have a change of heart? Mm -hmm. And if they're, I think we can assume that that is very, because belief change is very hard work. And then that means, and not only is belief change hard work, that's assuming that people actually want to change. I don't assume that people want to change. So to me, when they start talking about DEI, my question is, I don't care about that. But what I do care about is if you look at your C-suite, are they all white people? Yes or yeah. no? It's a very simple question. And it's a very simple way. And you can do something about that.
1: mm mm-hmm.
0: You can have rubrics and metrics to say, hey, this is something that might go against my own personal beliefs, but this is something that I know we need to do for the health of the organization. Yes. Plain and simple.
1: Yeah, and I, and I would add to that and, you know, the nuance that we're getting into that even if your C-suite or your, your leadership are diverse – but Their principles and values are antithetical, yes, <laughs> to seeing <laughs> let's talk about that. Let's talk uh, about that as it relates to values of equity, inclusion, anti racism. They're fine with maintaining the status quo, that is also an issue, and absolutely. And I know that in a lot of these organizations, especially in nonprofits, the way that DEI conversations started were actually not about organizational change, it was about how to be sensitive when working with community.
0: Yes.
1: (laughs) There was not an internal look. It was, how do you go to this part of the city and not deeply offend people (laughs) in the way that you do your work?
0: Or deeply offend your staff and have a lawsuit. Yes. And so that internal change is what I'm really interested in. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I, I,
1: I completely agree that many of these trainings, when you go into them, they're set up in a way that feels like it's not even 101. It's 001 about difference. Like literally one that I went into where there was all this promise. One of the first conversations was, have you ever thought about what it might be to navigate New York city as a left-handed person? And like that, that's, (laughs) where they recognized (laughs) but that's that's where where they were like let not even talking about race gender you know other identity like this is where we were they were recognizing where we were um and in that it, it it felt like this is to help people in in the dominant culture of the organization, many times white people in larger nonprofits and charity work in New York City, this is what you're not supposed to say. Yes. It's not about belief. It's not about you changing your behaviors. It's really what not to say out loud, or to put in emails that could end up being in the EEO committee. So it was, it was scary to see, um, to be in these meetings and to realize how far behind your colleagues were in terms of understanding these issues that they supposedly know because of the mission-driven work that you do. Um, and to also see the coddling and hand-holding by the facilitators of these trainings, where they were not pushing, many times, white-led training, trainee or facilitators working with white leadership where they were being so sensitive to the point that, to, to your point, Trina, that black and brown and other staff would need to push the conversation so that it didn't just stop with someone's uncomfortability and even having a conversation about these issues. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, I, I... I do I do get concerned in the immediate aftermath of these sorts of trainings that are inauthentic if it again helps people know what not to say and helps them know who to target. Yes. <laughs> based on what they shared in that meeting or how they participated or not as a person of color as a marginalized person um
0: and I've what seen it with my own eyes. I've seen it with my own eyes, being in these trainings where people literally weaponize language against you. Mm-hmm. And it is it is really frustrating. And I, I, David, I wanted to go back to something that you talked about, um, going back to the C-suite. And just because you have a black face in there doesn't mean that that person is for, supports other black people and that they're for equity. And I yes. think that is something that a lot of us um um it can be hard to talk about in the, in nonprofits because it's like there might be so few of us to begin with or we feel like we need to stick together and we do want that diversity in there but when you find out that person has the exact same politics or they've adopted the exact same principles and ethos of the institution that hasn't served its black staff that is and that is incredibly problematic and difficult to to navigate. So you see this person that looks like you, but they don't have your best interests at heart. Yeah. And so I, I guess, and so if if there were real DEI efforts, to me it would be how do you control for that? Which, mm-hmm. if it's a primarily white led organization, I don't know how they do that. But I, I think it has to be more in alignment with principles. But also, we want Black people in the C-suite that have these principles. Yep. And so then the, I think the bigger question then becomes what does it mean to have an organization that is true, that, that DEI is truly interwoven into the very way that the organization functions. Yes. So that means just because you have a rubric for, um, what is that called? Employee evaluation yeah. for your evaluation. Yeah. Um, but, you know, somehow the black people are always the ones that um, are in need of improvement or they're put on a performance improvement plan. Um, And then you have the other side where there's some teams that no matter what, they're always getting promotions and raises. And you have to wonder... Are they equitable? And you find out that some teams, when it comes to their evaluations, it's literally just a checkoff. And other teams, it's like, especially if they're black and brown, it's a very detailed assessment of every single email that they sent for the past year. It's like those kinds of things that can be put into alignment. Those are the things that are in the system. And I think the other big frustration I have is that DEI is not on the staff. It's Mm -hmm. not on the staff it's on the leadership and it's on the structure it's on the board it's on the hr department it's on anything that has to do with the the systems that support the structure of the organization
1: yes yes and that's um, to that point and i also want to want to hear more about you know why these things don't work is that this this work cannot be seen as an add-on <laughs> of like we yes. are effective we're doing this work, we're raising this money, we're reaching this many people, we're doing this, and then we're adding this on. This is actually supposed to be something that is an injection (laughs) into everything that you're doing that will shift and change everything that you're doing because you're bringing a lens to it. And so if this is not seen in that way, as this is work for the lifetime of the organization, this is work that will change everything, for the better recognizing that it will be hard in the beginning it will be very hard because you're going against institutional momentum you're going against people who've been there for decades or years who do not want to change who've maintained the status quo who've used the system who have like a graveyard of black professional careers <laughs> be you know un- be under their desk and and that it's really hard and so for leadership to get uncomfortable in these ways, um, I think is a challenge, and it's also something that we need to recognize that people somehow are comfortable with consistent lawsuits, people leaving, issues with retention, revolving door of black staff, but uncomfortable talking about institutional dynamics around race and class and gender.
0: Absolutely, you know,
1: and, and it's so they're, they're choosing the uh, the idiosyncrasies that they're they're comfortable with. And so one thing that I do want to discuss to your point, um, Trina, about uh, why some of these things don't work is that some of these initiatives, at least in my experience, the reason why I've given time and energy to the initiative is because I was exhausted with the individual conversations that needed to happen around these issues. So for me... It was better to be on a task force, on an initiative, leading, finding training, whatever that is, where it was mandated across all the directors, it was going to be mandated across the evaluative measures, because it was better for me as an individual, and this is the thing about me as an individual, than to go to every single director and every single colleague and bring this up in every conversation, and instead of, that was overwhelming as opposed to it being an organizational mandate. Of course, the organizational mandate was not the silver bullet. It was not going to solve everything. But in terms of my own uh, self-preservation, being involved with it at that level, right or wrong, felt better to me, Um, even though it didn't necessarily work.
0: (laughs) I can see that. I can see that perspective. So,
1: but yeah, why why are you, uh, what are you seeing in terms of um, why these initiatives and why this stuff doesn't work?
0: I mean, I think the other things that I that I pointed out that people weaponize DEI mm-hmm. language and initiatives against people. Um, I think my, my perspective on DEI initiatives, I did not get involved in um, because they weren't, to me, it was like leaning, they were leaning the ladder against the wrong house. And I, I didn't want to exercise, I didn't want to use any more energy for something that I knew was not going to work and have the impact that it needed to have so again from for me um, my perspective was if you don't get it well then I don't know what to tell you I'm not here to educate you about this I have work to do and I'm just going to do it and do these things in my own way within my purview of control because you're not going to be doing it in in any other way that's going to make a difference to anyone and I'm not going to be I'm not the one to keep having these conversations with you So that is the way that I saw it. And so to me, an organization really needed to take up the mantle of these DEI efforts and infusing them into all of their policies, practices, and procedures and structures and systems. Mm -hmm. And if that's not the conversation, to me, it was wasted time. Yeah. And I did not want to waste time because it's like I had other work to do. And quite frankly, after that, then I was ready to go home because I had my life to live. Mm-hmm. So spending that time trying to help them suss this thing out when I know it ultimately felt like they really didn't care about it felt like a waste of time for me. And I was really opposed to wasting my time when I know these were things that they really did not care about.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I want to add the realities for some of the leaders that are going to be listening to this, especially if you're below the C-suite or even in the C-suite, and you have that mindset of what is the point of this, is that there is pressure on you from younger staff of color. They're looking up to you and thinking, why isn't David involved in this? (laughs) You know, I'm just out of college, or just out of grad school, or I've been here a couple of years, whatever that is, and so having that conversation, and it, 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 which I've had, can be challenging, um, but sometimes necessary as to why I am not participating in this thing that you are seeing as being promising for uh, improving your conditions within this nonprofit.
0: Yes. And I, I think you bring up a really good point. And I think, um, part of the conversation has to be, um, and maybe we can talk about it here is what does it mean for DEI? What, what does it mean for DEI to actually work? What does it mean for it to actually, um, be effective? So it's not a training. I think that's the first thing I want to say. Yes. Um, it can, it, the training can be the the vehicle to deliver the information for the thing and the action that needs to happen, but the training itself is not the DEI um, intervention mm-hmm. <laughs> because an intervention is needed. It's not the intervention. It's the, um, I don't know, it's the vehicle, but it's not the intervention. Mm-hmm. And so I think with younger staff, sometimes you – Um, the understanding has to be there of what DEI really means and what is actually needed. Because I think that the trouble that we have is the landscape right now of how it's being done. Most of what's being done is about training and telling white people what they're doing wrong or not doing. Mm -hmm. I'm not interested in that. I think that part, that has its place. But the real work comes in the structures of the institution and how it's actually performed. And for example, if you have a manager and the black people on their team consistently perform low, why? Compared Mm -hmm. to maybe the white people on their team. You need to find out why. Yes. And you need to get into the details and the nitty gritty of how that bias can be, how a person's bias can um, impact how they view someone's work performance. And so what do you do about that?
1: Yes. Yes.
0: And so in terms of the staff, I mean, yes, we can talk about it, and you can talk about it, but those are the actions that need to happen that are going to make a difference. Exactly.
1: And I think another way, um, you know, to co-sign that, but another way to say that is that the the systemic inequities happening within these institutions – are not a problem of information.
0: Yes, (laughs) well said. It's not a problem (laughs) of
1: they don't know. Yes. And if they knew, things would be different. And what you're getting at, I think, is that these efforts are about an examination of the systems and processes we have, the things that we do not have, that are leading to these inequitable outcomes in terms of retention, recruitment, promotion, compensation, exposure to um, um, donor, you know, all of those things. And one thing that that, that I saw in the last place that I worked was um, this tendency to try to self-diagnose, self-treat, self-declare yourself cured. Yes. And that training, you know, obviously training, or usually training is with a third party. I know there are many places where they just – Put it on staff to train, mm-hmm. um, but that you do need external help in order to get this done. And it's something that we've talked about that is, you know, I don't know if this is controversial. One thing that I worry about is that a lot of these DEI trainers who get recommended across many of these white-led organizations, the reason why they're recommended is because they're ineffective. yes. Because what they're doing is actually making white people uh, feel comfortable, helping them weaponize language, helping them push out people who they see as problems. And so even if the leaders are conscious of this or not, they're recommending these groups because things are not being shaken up too much.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: That the ones that were, was a serious challenge and where people were, Really having to look at themselves in the mirror and change—they're not recommending that trainer.
0: No. <laughs> so, Why would they? Why would so, they? Uh,
1: yeah. So I I hear you, and um, yeah, yeah.
0: So what what in your estimation would be a real effective DEI strategy mm-hmm. for an organization if they really cared?
1: Yeah, I think, I think it wouldn't be, honestly, it wouldn't be a DEI strategy. It would be, how are we thinking about strategic planning? So thinking about all the things that we do and instilling an equity and inclusion and accessibility lens to all of it. So I don't even know if you would call it a DEI initiative. I think you would call it maybe it's informed by maybe there there you now are bringing in this these additional lenses where again you're engaging with staff you're engaging with the board you're engaging with your peer organizations you're engaging with directly impacted community to understand what that means for your strategic planning process but that it cannot be siloed it cannot be put on just your staff um and that to your point, like that there are, uh, uh, there are things that you, there, th- to the point that you make often, there's information that you already have that you need to act on. Yes. <laughs> and if you're not even comfortable acting on that current information, what is the point of an, of an initiative?
0: Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. So I, I say this all the time. So part of the work that I do with organizations is around helping them keep great, keep great people. And as a part of that, one of the things that I encourage them to do is to look at the information they already have, meaning how many employee surveys have they done, Look at your glass door reviews. You want to know what's really going on? That's where you're going to get information and take action on that. You don't need another training. You don't need someone to come in and tell you something else. You need to just take action on the information that you already have. So if you know, as I've mentioned before, that one person is problematic and should be fired, fire that person. You want a DEI initiative? That's your initiative. Going through the organization and rooting out those bad actors—that's what you can do. Um, again, looking looking at how people are paid. Look at look at the pay equity. Is it equitable? Look at your C-suite. Look at your board. Who's on it? Do they really care about? Do they really care about the mission of the organization? How are they supporting um, Black and Brown staff? Like, what are the um, what are the values? You really have to look at those values and how are those values being um, being executed upon? Mm-hmm. If that makes sense.
1: And that does. And I think something that that we've also talked about that I want to make sure to share because I know you have this lens too is disaggregate based on race, identity, and all these things, the actions that you have taken. (laughs) So if you've been firing people, have you been firing mostly black women? Right. (laughs) If you've been, you know, not promoting people because of performance, you know, who are... Because as we all know, these organizations are taking action. They're just taking action with certain people. Absolutely. Um, And they're finding ways to be very specific and very punitive about the performance of certain people and not of others. And that's something also as a black leader that I've really struggled with is that I will see people maybe not performing to their ability, but I also see that, that are black, that are brown, that are of marginalized community, but I see many other people who are white and are of dominant culture who are also not performing but continue to yes, be promoted, yeah. continue to get raises. But I am supposed to be the one who is, you know, doing the hard work of putting people on performance improvement plans or saying that this may not be the right organization for them when their peers who literally just walk around the building and do nothing <laughs> other than translate, and I'm saying that word specifically, the work of their black peers to uh, leadership uh, have none of that uh, scrutiny, so it, it, it's tough.
0: It is a very <laughs> tough situation. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm laughing uh, inside joke between <laughs> me and David. Um, but anyway, I, I, I do think that is hard when you see when you see black staff who aren't performing. Um, you know, what do you do in that situation? I'm inclined to give people opportunity, um, but at the same time, I can't let you uh, sink my ship either. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 hard because you you do want to give people a chance. You do want to give them an opportunity to turn it around, because we as we know and as you've said, there are a lot of white people who continue to fail forward. They could be at work doing nothing and continue to fail forward, and not be not be performing and not doing all these things, but they still get raises they still get promoted because they play a they play a role Mm -hmm. and and it works for them and not for us and I think that's something that's important to recognize we don't get away with the things that they get away with and it can be extremely frustrating
1: yeah
0: and so for me I think um when I was a leader um in in the in the nonprofit world I I think um I I wanted to Focus on the systems, focus on the things that I know would really make a difference, not only for me, but for my teams. That was something that really um, would have made a difference. I don't want to sit in your employee resource group or whatever talking about DEI and how stressed out I am about being a black person in this organization. I don't want to do that. I've already done that. I know what that is. Mm -hmm. I want to see them taking action on these things and so if I were to be a part of anything and encourage um, other leaders to be a part of anything, it would be that, you know, if you have a voice in the room, that's how you need to be using it. Um, David, and I think to your point about the lens, you know, you have all these lenses that they don't, or maybe they do have it and don't care, whatever the case may be, you do have that lens. And so you can apply that to the decisions that are being made.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, as we're, we're wrapping up, um, you all will see, you know, the podcast, the show notes, everything. If you have any stories of this was really effective at my organization or these are some, you know, quote-unquote best practices, whatever it is, where we are seeing some changes, you know, we're in, you know, tw- you know 13.0 on this work and now it's, it, it seems to be mathing. I'd love, I'm sure we'd love to hear <laughs> what that looks like.
0: If you have, if you have those uh, <laughs> uh, stories, recommendations, best practices, uh, please share it with us. Uh, we would love to hear it. Um, David, any final points on this that you'd like to share? Yeah. Yeah. I
1: think just, you know, in terms of thinking of you and, and channeling the way that you lead your work around um, each individual, understanding their agency and their boundaries and, um, Understand that this work is really important, and the reason why we get involved is that we're trying to reduce the amount of professional trauma that yeah. we're experiencing, but really, really take stock as even if you say you want to lead something or you're involved in something, if it's actually just leading to more harm, um it's okay to step back. It's I okay agree. to step back.
0: I agree. And lastly, I'll just say the work of diversity, equity, inclusion is on the work of the, is the work of the organization and the systems that support, that support it. It's not the work of individual staff members. Mm -hmm. And while they can play a role, the reality is that those systems are what need to be impacted. Yes. So um, that's all. We're going to wrap it up here. Thanks all for listening. Uh, Until next time.
1: Yeah. Thank you.